welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. Welcome in. This is the Tuesday Not So Deep Dive episode. We have Brad Freeman on the show uh, coming in every other week with this one. And we are going to be talking about Dutch Bros. Uh, one of the, well, I think it was because of the ticker uh, for some certain investors out there kind of liked that ticker name, but it's been one of the hottest IPOs. So we wanted to check it out. We read through the S1 and we're going to talk about it today. Brad, have you ever heard of Dutch Bros? Because I know you're on the east, you know, towards the east coast. They're not really out yeah. there. Yeah, I've never heard of the brand up up until its IPO, uh, believe it or not. So this is brand new to me. Now, I've never been, but Ryan has been, and he can say there is kind of a cult following. We'll, it's a bit, we'll so save it for anecdotal We'll evidence. save it for anecdotal evidence for sure. But it is very interesting, and it's uh, going to be a nice little uh, fun one here. But let's talk about potential multi-baggers first. Our flagship sponsor, the aim of potential multi-baggers is to find stocks that can go up 10x over the next 10 years or compound at 26% per year. So a high bar there. And they've actually outdone that since the beginning. And it's not just for a year or something. It's been quite a few years. We're probably coming up on year five or something like that. There's tons of different things you get with it. Chris, the head of potential multi-baggers, has another team of analysts with him. I'm not sure how many there are, but there are a few that are helping them out with the service. There are also several portfolios different for different styles and stuff like that each month. Chris shows you what he would add to to build a portfolio over time. So there's helping, you know, teaching you how to, you know, do some portfolio management, all that stuff. All portfolios can be tracked in real time, which is also great. There's tons of transparency here. Any of the two-week free trial, right? Also, uh, he has a really interesting background as to how when he started potential multi-baggers, yeah. uh, kind of his transition away from teaching. If you ever want to listen to that. You have to dig through all of our old episodes and you can find it, but it's pretty interesting. Yeah, it. yeah, definitely. And he is, you know, he he does love talking with people. So if you're part of the service, you'll be able to talk with him personally and ask all those questions too. Um, accountability is important to him. And with the live portfolios, you can see how every pick is doing in real time. So if you want to become a multi, you can go to Seeking Alpha and look for From Growth to Value, Google it, or go to at From Value on Twitter. Ryan, I'm going to let you introduce Dutch Bros and talk about, give a quick hit on uh, Seven Investing, because yeah. that'll be coming out right when you're listening to this. Yeah. So we are recording this on Thursday before this drops. And so tomorrow, the Seven Investing Rex uh, will come out. That's the first of the month, I believe. So we're kind of eager to see those. It's always good lead gen. So remember, you can use our code CCM. That's enough of the sponsorship, so let's get to the show. Uh, so we are talking Dutch Bros today, and I am a customer, so I'll kind of go through what they do. Um, so the first line there is one, there's a few words that are all caps, so just ignore those, but it says Dutch Bros is a high-growth operator and franchiser of drive through shops that focus on serving high-quality, all caps, handcrafted yeah. beverages, unparalleled speed, all caps, and superior service, all caps, so... That, that, they're in, that, look, they're passionate. I don't think you, that they're you pr- can tell they're very passionate. Yes. Uh, it's pretty much a chain of drive through coffee stands, but they also gener- generate a lot of sales from their Blue Rebel brand, which is basically just a flavored energy drink. Um, it's a lot, I guess, like a Red Bull soda 
I think that's maybe why they call it rebel, uh, because it's basically tied to that. Um, kind of the names are similar and it tastes like a similar drink, but if uh, the reason I bring that up is because that drives, uh, that is the leading, uh, product in the afternoon. So that drives a lot of traffic throughout the day past the morning. Um, and then more operationally Dutch bros has 471 stores across 11 States. It's pretty much all West coast. Sorry, Brad, you haven't got to experience this. Maybe in a few years we're a hey, rapid expansion. They said it's coming. So they're going to hit Michigan eventually. They, <laughs> uh, right now they have it's Washington, Oregon, which is where they started California, Idaho, Nevada, Arizona, Colorado. And then over the last year, I think it was over the last year, they moved into New Mexico, Utah, uh, Texas, and Oklahoma. And about 56% of their stores right now are franchised and the remaining 44% are company operated, but the company operated store count has gone from 37 at the beginning of 2018 to 182 at the end of 2020. So they're really focused on uh, having most of the stores be company operated uh, kind of long-term and they target 25,000 square foot lots for the whole, uh, for the whole premise premises except the actual shop is less than a thousand feet. So it's mostly just drive-through lanes. There's like a little patio as well. Um, but if, if you've ever driven past one, they basically just have like three, three, four, five different drive-through lanes that converge into one. And usually it's kind of congested. There's a lot of traffic, uh, cause people are trying to get through. Um, sometimes the shops will have two lanes. It's a lot like a traditional coffee stand just with more traffic essentially. Um, and then they also uh, they have escape lanes. They made sure to point that out. So if you ever need to get out, you ever want to abandon ship halfway through your order, you can just hop out. Um, uh, 90% of their product sales are from drinks. They have funny names for all their drinks. So some of the examples I found were Ice Tiger's Blood Lemonade, Golden Eagle Freeze, which I think is just like a caramel frappuccino, um, and then Electric Berry Rebel. So it's stuff like that. It sounds weird but their cult-like following that they've cultivated uh loves it and it's it's like a barrier to like learning the nomenclature is like a barrier to entry and as a as a consumer yeah like once you're in you feel like a part of an exclusive group it's weird i know (laughs) the rational consumer that brett is doesn't really understand it congratulations on the yeah on being in that exclusive group (laughs) (laughs) Uh, a little bit history about the company so the company was originally founded by you guessed it two brothers with dutch descendants i think um they better be yeah or else they're lying to us yeah and so their their names are travis and dane borsma i might be butchering that last name but dane has since passed but travis is still the executive chairman which brad will talk more about and it was actually started in 1992 so this is all mentioned and travis writes like an opening letter in the s1 It's, it's worth a read and they were both third generation dairy farmers that I believe grew up in Grants Pass, Oregon. Um, I know that's at least where the uh, company started, but basically they started out by purchasing an espresso espresso machine, selling out of their barn. um, And they also had a stereo to go along with it, which they ended up doing pretty well. So they eventually bought a push cart. They moved to downtown Grants Pass, Oregon, where they kept that same model. And basically the stereo and an espresso machine started to do pretty well. Uh, They made about a hundred dollars a day from that. They started to train some people they had five of those, and then eventually they moved to uh, a drive-through with a patio. Uh, so this is kind of—it's like the lemonade stand gone corporate, if you will. It's kind of like the ideal, I guess, uh, small business uh, growth story. And so, 
later someone asked, uh, I think it was one of their recurring customers. They said they wanted to try to do the same thing in a nearby town. And he said he would pay to use the Dutch bros name. That was basically the inception of their franchising model. Um, and then 30 years have passed. So they've obviously grown, but in 2008, they stopped allowing new franchisees to open stores. I believe this slowed growth. Um, and instead they said only people that are part of the Dutch bros system were allowed to open new stores. So I think the goal of this was to help maintain the culture and keep the experience the same. They, they've said, they say this in their asset one, but they said, every time you come to a Dutch bros, we want to feel like a celebration. Um, and so the culture is a big part of the experience for the customers. I think they wanted to preserve that. And so that's why they've tried to keep it all within the Dutch bros system. So for existing franchisees can open new stores and then employees can obviously open new stores as well. Uh, but they have to go through this leadership pathway program, which I'll talk a little bit more about later. I think that gives a little background and context yes. for the business. Great overview. I'll hit land. I'll hit industry competition, pretty simple, but honestly, it's a little tough to identify because they're really selling something different than Starbucks. You can identify Starbucks as like a competitor, but I almost say it's like a half competitor because they're, they're not targeting just like the monotonous, you know, morning, uh, morning drinks, stuff like that. As Ryan described, it's trying to be more of a special experience for lack of a better word. But the restaurant industry as a whole is about 600 to $800 billion estimated in the US. Could be as high as a trillion. I know the numbers kind of just range around there. I, I don't know how helpful that is, uh, but that's just kind of, you know, if they ever expanded to food or something like that. There's no market saturation that they're going to hit anytime soon. Dutch Bros though is going after drinks and coffee. Coffee is estimated to be about 5 billion sales in the US. That could have been a number. Starbucks could be higher than that. So that could have been just like at home or only in store, but just know that coffee is not like the dollar sales aren't going to be that high. I think I may have gotten a smaller number there that could have just been a subset of the coffee market. And then drinks overall, though, are going to be definitely higher. Like Ryan mentioned, they're not just selling coffee. And I think 82% of their drinks are sold cold. So a lot of them, you know, a lot of the customers are just going for these mixed drinks and the Blue Rebel. Um, you know, people kind of know about that. That's the the classic one that is their, their huge... Um, Will be a comparison, it's, Ryan. So, so something that is popular, kind of like uh, Taco Bell has that one, right? Uh, uh, what's Baja, it called? It's kind of like that, like you know, that's their number one drink. That's that's Dutch Bros. It, the Blue Rebel is just the energy base, and then it's like derivative drinks off that, so you can like add okay. flavors and stuff like that. That's basically just the 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 core of it is the energy drink blue rebel. All right. And then for reference, again, uh, if you're wondering about their store count potential. Uh, Starbucks has 15,000 stores in the United States alone. I don't think Dutch Bros has the potential to get that high, but just know that for coffee and these little shops, I mean, there's plenty of room to go into multiple towns and stuff like that. And then from a competitor standpoint, I'd probably identify the, you know, individual coffee stands. And well, there's also bikini baristas too, which you know, people laugh about, but they're they're very popular and there's a ton of them. <laughs> those uh, are definitely their main competitors, just those little stands that are similar to Dutch Bros, but just people have on their own or those small chains in local areas. Starbucks is probably less of a competitor, although you're really competing, I think, for someone's quote, like specialty drink that a lot of people have. They may have once a day or once every few days. It could be an energy drink, soda, something like that. You're really competing for that time. Um, Brad, do you want to hit management and ownership? Oh, oh, Ryan, you have one thing. Oh, that's something just before. I think I think your coffee number might be a little bit off. Yeah, I could have written down wrong. I, I Starbucks has 
27 billion in annual revenue. Now, yeah. not all that comes from coffee, and they obviously have a lot of. Not all power. that is international, but yeah. Uh, but I, I think it's higher than five billion. I think yeah, I must have gotten a subset of either at home or or restaurant only. But yeah, that's that's probably a little low. Brad, carry on management and ownership. Sure. So Travis Borsma, we got a pretty good overview of him. If you're if you're interested in getting an idea of his personality, just go to his LinkedIn profile and, and look at his picture. Uh, it, it, a picture here is worth. Uh, more than 1,000 words, but he does have the cleanest um, LinkedIn experience page I think I've ever seen. It's just co-founder and president of, of Dutch Bros, and that has been his professional career. So good for him figuring out something he's passionate about and making it work. But moving on to the current executive team, the CEO is Joth Ritchie. So he's been with the company just since January 2019. Um, he also currently serves as the racial justice on the Racial Justice Council for Oregon's governor. Um, and on the board of directors for the Oregon Business Council, Borsma, that, that family is also very much so based in Oregon. So um, very strong ties to that state. Uh, he, he's also been the president of, of Stump, Stumptown Coffee Roasters, where he delivered a lot of profitable growth. Um, he got up to $64 million in revenue before he left. So it wasn't tiny. Um, pretty good success there. Former CEO of Jones Soda. I, I used to drink a lot of Jones Soda. So um, like, that, that, yeah, that put a smile yeah. on my face. Yeah. It's a good yeah, drink. Absolutely love it. It's a good drink. Similar. Uh, it actually makes sense. You know that they, they went up. Yeah, yeah. It, made, it makes perfect sense. And and just thirty two ratings on Glassdoor. Uh, so very very little grain of salt here, but ninety percent rating for those very limited reviews. But the CFO is Charles Gemley. Pretty impressive resume here. He's been with the company since January of twenty twenty. He was with Starbucks for twelve years, from two thousand six to two thousand eighteen. Climbed from vice president of China to the senior vice president of finance, global digital and store development. So three very important things. He was also the CFO, former CFO of Young China for, from 2003, 2006. So the resume here is really, it's, it's pristine. Um, the COO is Brian Maxwell. He's actually been with the company since 1992, where he began as a broista <laughs> uh, manager. And I can't say broista with a straight face. <laughs> broista People have to talk about, yeah, I have that in anecdotal evidence. So I'll have to ask about that. <laughs> okay. So the quote was for his experience was broista manager and mind blower. So he definitely took a lot of pride in his job making people delicious drinks, but he climbed the ladder for three decades and he's now. The COO, so really interesting and compelling contrast between a CEO and a CFO with really relevant, impressive experience, and then an operator who's been here for 30 years and knows the culture, I'm sure, as well as the boards must. Um, but from an ownership structure, uh, the word to describe it is bananas. Um, there are four different classes of stock. Uh, so one of their core investors, TSG Community Partners, owns 100% of the Class C stock, 33% of the Class A stock, and 22% and of the combined voting power overall, that's after the offering. The Borsma family owns all of the Class B stock and 44.1% of the Class A stock for 74% of the combined voting power. Richie and Gemley own just 3.3% of Class A and virtually zero voting power. And Brian Maxwell, the guy who I just talked about being with the company for three decades, climbing the ladder, he is not listed as a shareholder um, on, on the S1, which I was a little bummed out about. I mean, he climbed the ladder for three decades, give him a, give him a nice fat equity package, um, to, to say, thank you for being with us for 30 years and, and climbing all the way up the ladder. Uh, but I digress that that's the crazy ownership structure. Yeah, no, that's a good overview. And I got to say a guy named Joth Ritchie fits in perfectly 
with the the uh, you know the the kind of culture that seem they seem they have there. That that his name seems on point to me. Um, but I'll I'll hit valuation. Market cap is about seven point three billion dollars. You should remember that this is a recent IPO. There was a lot of hype around it, and the stock's traded almost like a meme stock, where it's been up or down like ten percent of the day. So make sure to recheck these numbers. I'm going on a market cap of seven point three billion dollars. Ticker is B R O S. So just bros. Perfect ticker. I love it. Honest, it's. It, I can't believe that no one had taken that one before. Um, trailing twelve month price to sales of eighteen. Trailing twelve month price to gross profit of fifty two point five. I think this is an important point here. Ryan will get into it more in the earnings. I bet, but the gross margins are not as you expect with a restaurant. It's not software. Um, they're going to be a bit lower. Trailing twelve month price to operating cash flow is eighty two. It's pretty. It's not bad. However, I don't think that. Now, this could just be an assumption on my part, but I don't think that conversion is sustainable. I, I forget. I didn't write down specifically why, but whenever I looked at the, the statement, I saw some things that I was like, all right, is that going to continue every year? I don't know, but they might. Um, and then uh, they have a lot of SBC as well. I'd, I'd say that uh, they had, I believe, around $60 million in operating cash flow in 2019 and then $55 million in operating cash flow in 2020. Uh, so I think, and I think it's around 20% cash flow margins, but uh, why don't yeah. you hit your last point and then I'll talk more. About yeah. That. And I just, I see that versus 29% contribution margin. I think, eh, is that sustainable? I don't know. Brad, you have something? Could that, could those cash flow margins be related to, well, I guess it's operating cash flow. So never mind. I was thinking about capex from all this expansion that they're doing, but, but um, that would not impact operating cash flow at all. So never mind. I think a lot of it is SBC. So how are you like to treat that? I think that might be wrong. The, um, all right. Well, the last thing we have is, and I saw this in the S1, they have 17 million shares that may be granted another 2021 equity incentive plan. Shares outstanding are what, 165 million. So it's not like crazy, but I would expect dilution going forward. That's something you should probably price in here. Um, Ryan, do you want to hit earnings? Yeah. So, I'll go through it. Sorry, I'm trying to figure out. I, I think you might be wrong on the SBC number, but I'll, I'll. They had 404 million dollars in trailing 12 month revenue, um, and then from 2019 to 2020, revenue grew at about 37 percent year over year. Uh, they they released this after I think the second quarter uh, financially. So there's some of the I'll have some of the 2020 numbers to give sort of a more annual look at it. But in 2020, they had same shop sales growth of two percent. The reason I put that down is this is a year when traffic largely dropped um, because of COVID. And they mentioned that. They mentioned the uh, difficulty that COVID brought. Uh, for reference, even though Starbucks isn't the same model, I think their comp store sales dropped by 15%. Um, they've had 14 consecutive years of same shop sales. So I think that gives you same shop sales growth. I think that gives you an idea of how much the customers like it. Um, and then 2019 to 2020, they grew store count by 19%. The company stated that its 2020 contribution margin was 29%. So that's basically just the profitability on a per shop basis. So that's excluding corporate expenses. And then last 12 month adjusted EBITDA margin was 20%. Uh, I guess take that with what you will. And then in 2019, Dutch Bros had operating cash flow margins of 24%. Keep in mind, gap free cash flow accounting is actually pretty useful for a business like this. So if you if you traditionally just look at free cash flow as operating cash Wait, flow. You said gap free cash flow. Or is that Sorry. what you meant? Traditional accounting yeah. for free cash flow. So operating cash flow minus purchases of property and equipment because 
that's them expanding to new stores. So that's not kind of their CapEx or their growth CapEx, if you will. And so free cash flow margin for 2019 was only 7%. So over time, as new store expansion starts to become a, a smaller, which it, I think it will have to if your store base gets large enough, they should see a little bit better cash flow conversion. There will probably, I, I imagine there's some maintenance capex on like keeping the stores up to date, keeping the coffee roasters. There's uh, got to be, yeah. Uh, kind of uh, depreciating those or finding new ones. Um, so there's probably some, I don't think free cash flow margin will ever be equivalent to operating cash flow margin, but uh, it's it's not, I mean, free cash flow margin right now, I think we'll get much closer to that 20% number over time. It should. And that's, well, that's probably a debate you got to have as, a, as an investor. And then you had the question on um, cash flow, Ryan. So in 2020, they had 53 million in operating cash flow and they had 35 million in SBC. But in 2019, it was a lot less. So they had 56 million in operating cash flow, very similar, but only 6.7 million in SBC. Uh, I don't know what number to trust going forward, but there's going to be some, it might be as high as it was in 2020. That might've been a one-time thing. Who knows? Um, balance sheet though, let's wrap up the first half. Brad, what do you have for that? Sure. Before that, a quick question for Ryan, because he's been to the store. Are, are there, is there in, in-house dining there or is it just only drive-through? There's like a patio that you can kind of sit at and order. Um, okay. Ian, is it is, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Ian said he used to go there all the time. I don't know. I guess we could ask him. Uh, I, I was just going to, actually, I didn't realize I have a few more numbers just to cite. 91% of their shops open more than, uh, that have been open for more than 15 months generate shop level contribution margin above 20%. Thought that figure was kind of interesting. And then within the last, within the first two months of launching a mobile app, Dutch Bros had 1.6 million member activations. Um, and they launched this during COVID. So that's kind of to give you an idea of, and that is, I'll talk about that, but it's much higher on a per store basis than a company like Starbucks, who also has a cult-like following, but um, they now have 2.3 million active members. Uh, but I'll let Brad kind of hit the balance sheet. Yeah, just, I, I asked about the the in-store option just because kind of trying to gauge how big of an impact COVID-19 had on their operations. Maybe it even could have been seen as a yeah, relative. Honestly, yeah, way. I honestly think it was a benefit, yeah. Yeah, because because I mean you're not going into Starbucks yeah. to get coffee, but that's maybe a little more palatable for people who are nervous. They give they give a chart of COVID's impact, and COVID certainly did not help the business. Uh, yeah, it was like two months of down, but then it was back up, right? Yeah, and I mean there was just less commuting, which I imagine this is the mm-hmm. that can negative. Yeah, um, that's true. That can negatively impact it. Yeah, good point. Definitely competing factors. But but moving on to uh, balance sheet liquidity. So uh, we talked about this at, at length before the show. But um, the companies, all, all of the sources you're going to find, will say that the company raised nearly five hundred million dollars in cash. But a lot of this cash, uh, as, as Brett told me, was was used to kind of clean up some credit facilities that they had um, outstanding and also to buy back some of the stock from these four classes of shares that, that they had to, just to kind of clean up the balance sheet a little bit. So it looks like, and we're not 100% positive, but it looks like according to their pro forma cash position that it's only around 50 million um, despite the $500 million raise um, after after the IPO. Now, it's that's not, that, that's not the end of the world considering they are profitable. Um, but it is definitely something to keep in mind. They, they do also have 
still 24 million in outstanding credit revolvers. They've got another 191.7 million in, in long-term debt outstanding that's going to mature over the next five years. That's got a 5% interest rate on it. Uh, but again, net income positive. So liquidity um, isn't ideal, but it, it's manageable. Yeah. I think if you're interested in Dutch Bros, you definitely, I mean, the balance sheet for the first 10Q will be very interesting because I want to see how everything shook out because they're giving you the numbers. You can kind of add it up, but, um, and there's also the one thing we don't know if there was that option for the underwriter option uh, to purchase more shares. So they could have raised more than uh, what they originally had on the S1. So the cash balance might be slightly, cash balance might be slightly higher. Again, uh, Brad had a tough task this week with the balance sheet and ownership. It was a bit confusing, but hopefully we cleared it up a bit and simplified it. Um, I think a, a proxy and a 10Q, a proxy statement and a 10Q would be very helpful. It will be helpful. And that's why um, that's why IPOs, that's a big reason why people like us, we like to wait sometimes. Brad? Yeah. Also, if we could institute a rule going forward, only two classes of shares yes. per IPO, that, that would be greatly appreciated. Yeah, um, I'm going to run for Congress and that's going to be my whole, uh, <laughs> that's going to be my whole whatever thing. Platform. <laughs> Platform. No adjusted EBITDA uh, and no, um, n- only two classes of share structure max. Um, all right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's hit the ad break and we'll get back and have more analysis on Dutch Bros. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are, miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is... Red color, red color, where are you? (sighs) All blocked, thanks to advanced security. Included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. Okay, welcome back. We have anecdotal evidence now. Um, Ryan can probably talk more to the experience. Um, unfortunately, I haven't been to one, but Brad, what are your thoughts on this? I know you haven't been to one, but what are your thoughts on the concept? Can I, This is the question I have for you. Do you think it could work in Michigan? Okay, so I actually, I guess I do have a little anecdotal evidence. I, I love coffee. I've never been to Dutch Bros, but I drink a couple cups of coffee every single day. And at my campus um, in undergrad, there was this, like it was on a, a corner of two really busy streets and it was just this little tiny hundred foot shack, square foot shack that just sold coffee. And that was it. It was called Bear Claw. And just, it sounds like Dutch Bros, their their entire parking, their entire property was dedicated to people in line waiting to, to service them. They were always busy, great coffee. Um, ho- hopefully this gives them some new business. I loved them. They're really nice. But, but that kind of reminds me a little bit without the the cool culture and, and the culty aspect of it, that reminds me of business model, a little bit of Dutch Bros, and it worked really, really well. So um, very anecdotal evidence there. All right, Ryan? Yeah, so I, I, um, I'm i not necessarily a recurring customer now, just because I don't really go out and buy that much coffee. But uh, in college, there is one kind of near my college town, and I've been there several times. It is, I'll, to, to kind of give an experience, you like to... To illustrate what it's like, you basically drive up 
you pull into one of those five lanes, it's usually quite congested. So, and it's usually on a busy corner. So it's a little stressful in that regard, but then you have what they call a runner come up to your car. And this has become sort of a funny thing on TikTok of people. They're, they, they're almost like invasive of personal space. They like lean into the car and like ask you how you're doing. It's, it's, it's a little weird, but you take your order there, you go through. And then on the, at the shop, they're basically just blasting music. Um, and that's the whole, like, make it a celebration thing. Um, they're trying to get it energetic. It does. Yeah. They do a good job. They, it does feel very fun when you go, uh, people tend to love it and feels like Chick-fil-A a bit. Yeah. And the, I mean, they give away like a lot of free stuff. They have their ro- loyalty rewards program, which I think is like one free drink every 10 drinks. And that's been shifted over to the app. They give away a, like that, whatever the puppuccinos for your dog, there's stickers. We've got some on a fridge over here. And that's people love right the there. stickers. They, they did compare their uh, Dutch bros brand. Like the, the, well, I bet we have it on the, on our fridge here. Um, in the S one, they compared it to, um, nurturing the Nike swoosh. That's ambitious. Wow. Uh, but I, I think they got a long way to go there, but again, that, that is, you know, that that's a good goal to have. They, they, they compared to that. I was like, guys, you may, you know, maybe something smaller. I don't know. <laughs> right now, but that, that, that's what they're trying to build though. It, some, some similar to that sort of brand. Um, I have never been. The only thing I thought was kind of funny is the S one was, their culture they don't they don't miss on what they're gonna like be like why like ryan said the s1 was yelling at me a bit i was like reading it i was like stop you know i don't know that that doesn't really matter but the one thing i want to talk about though is this kind of like one the bro to name is is funny and you know it's a good name It, it sticks with the brand but on a serious note as an investor do you think that and ryan you talked about it the fun loving stuff the coming into your car and trying to talk, talk you up, you know, get all energized. Do you think in certain areas of the country that might not fly as well? Well, we'll see because they just expanded into Oklahoma and they've seen, seem to be doing well in Texas since they've kind of opened multiple stores there. Uh, I just kind of think about the Northeast. I don't know. Like you, they come in the car and someone's like, who is this guy? Like, I, I think if there's anywhere that it wouldn't work, the only reason I think it might not work in, Northeast is uh, traffic congestion, especially in a city like New York or something. Oh, like yeah, that. New like, York City can. Yeah, you, but I just don't see how it would work in a city like that. Um, but more rural. Yeah, I figure if it can work in the South, it, it's going to work in the North. I, no, I think the South is way easier of a transition. I'm going to disagree with you that it's a lot more family friendly atmosphere. I, I, yeah, I guess we'll see. I don't, I mean, but, they it's not like they go scorched earth and just add a whole bunch of stores at once they do test stores essentially and And they do test stores on regions right they're kind of going on certain regions yeah and they kind of try to make it like dense geographically so like multiple stores around the same area i i guess we'll see yeah i could be totally wrong it's just something that popped up in my mind i know starbucks has had trouble in certain areas um so not everything can go to even just in different parts of the united states but future growth opportunities, this one's probably going to be simple, but Brad, what do you got for us? Yeah, extremely simple. So I'll, I'll try and get a tiny bit creative. Um, they did not really mention international expansion. The, the word international and global didn't show up in, in the S1. So it, it really seems like they 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 rightfully so um, see this opportunity as fruitful in, in, in the early innings and they're going to approach it in the United States. But China, um, 
they are more and more loving their coffee. Um, it, that, that is a, a strong growth market for Starbucks at this point in time. Um, the transition away from tea into coffee is a very, a very real one there. Um, so maybe a few years down the road, that could be a promising second market to dabble in. Now there's a lot of macroeconomic and, and, and political issues uh, to, to sort out before they can pull that off. But a couple, a couple companies, uh, Nike and, and Starbucks, just to name a couple, have, have been able to pull it off. Um, so that might be a really well-placed expansion project after they feel like they've established their presence in the United States. Yeah, it sounds like it's, you know, it's obviously really hard to do to go to the different culture. And you probably as like an investor, you're like, ah, nah, they're never going to be able to do that. But you would have said the same thing about Starbucks 15 years ago. And they're a lot more successful than people thought. So I, there's Dutch Bros doesn't look like they're going to do it now, but I, I wouldn't discount that because for some reason, the, you know, American brands have traveled internationally a lot better than people may have assumed. Yeah. And I know that, uh, I know that I took sort of the Basically, the only growth opportunity because it's a very replicable model. Um, So I I chose new store expansion. So sorry to you guys, but uh, I think it could work anywhere in the U.S. except maybe New York. Um, My experience uh, on the East Coast with uh, Dunkin' Donuts and Starbucks there doesn't seem very different from the West Coast. It seems like a pretty similar culture. Management said they think they can get to 4,000 locations in the U.S. Right now, they're, I think it was 471. Uh, the, the caveat with this is, okay, so uh, here's a quote from their S1. They said, we currently have a strong new shop pipeline with approximately 250 new sites identified, which is well in excess of our planned new company operated stores to be opened in 2022 and 2023. The, the issue is that they cannot expand store count uh, really, really fast. And maybe that isn't necessarily an issue. Maybe that would be well, a problem. Well, they can, they're choosing not to. They, they are choosing not to. And because they have the, because they're trying to keep everything within the Dutch Bros system, the employees that want to start one or the Broistas that want to start their own have to go through basically the education or the, the Dutch Bros schooling of how to own and operate one, which, which I think they call like the leadership pathway program. And so it takes time to do that. And so they don't, and they're not just letting franchisees come in and just add new ones. So um, the even with even with a even if they had a whole bunch of cash, there's limited store expansion. They have to go at it gradually, and obviously, as you get more broistas in the pathway program, you can start to grow faster. Um, but it will take time for that store expansion. Um, Four thousand locations in the U.S. I would assume will take. 10 years, 10 years, probably, probably. Yeah. And that is a bit confusing because I wish they could tell us what their projections of store count will be in 2022 and 2023, because they say 250 new sites identified, but how many are you planning to open each year? That would be a very useful thing for investors um, in your huge S1. Uh, But I I have some just simple as locking in core customers with the app. This will really help save store sales growth. You know, they launched that very recently. I think it was in 2020, right, Ryan, or 2019? Yeah, it was during COVID. During COVID, um, they already had they had twenty two point three million reward members in the first five months after launch, which is he, excuse me huge for their limited region. I mean, that's just a great number. It shows how much people love this company. Yeah, for reference, uh, I believe so. Starbucks has fifteen. You said what? Fifteen thousand stores in the U.S. And I think they had nineteen million members at the end of twenty twenty, which yeah. was I want to say two was years, good. That's good too. Launch. That's, one of the that best. is good. Yeah. And this is. I want to say double the pace. You got two 
2.3 million members, so uh, a tenth of the member base on a much smaller fraction of the store base. Yeah, hopefully they can leverage that asset to, uh, I don't know, get into other stuff. But highlights and lowlights, Brad, what did you like, what did you dislike about this company? Yeah, love the makeup of the team. Um, that 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 contrast between having the, uh, the, the president, the co-founder around with the company 30 years later, and having that COO who climbed all the way up the ladder and stuck around despite not getting any equity, <laughs> and the the CEO, and, and then comparing that with the CEO and the CFO, with just really relevant experience, um, new bring bring in new, new energy and life and blood to the company. Hopefully, um, it was just a very well balanced uh, balanced team. But but the low light, this was the most complicated balance sheet um, and ownership structure. That I've read in a very very long time, um, so that could be absolutely fine and and just just the way it is. But I mean, the simpler the better with those kind of things, and that was the furthest thing from simple. So yeah, they could have been doing it for a reason, and obviously they did it for a reason. They're, you're not going to choose four for no reason. But my question always is why, and if you're not explaining that clearly to me, I get a bit worried. It could be nothing, but it also could be something. Yeah. All right, Ryan. Highlight. For me, um, the cult-like following, especially where I'm from, uh, the loyalty app metrics, uh, they showed a lot of resilience during the pandemic and employees seem happy. The culture totally checks out. So all the sort of qualitative things that I look for, the qualitative characteristics, uh, they all seem to check the box. Uh, Low lights for me, yes, the reorganization transaction was overly complicated. and it actually threw off the market cap for like every major financial site for, so like, I, I think a lot of them still had it wrong. Uh, yeah, like, a, I mean, Robinhood gets a lot of stuff wrong, but like Robinhood had it wrong. People are like, whoa, Dutch Bros at $1 billion market cap. Holy, like, oh, yeah. you know, like, wow, I'm going to buy that now. Like, I mean, it was like a 6X difference. Yeah. Um, now, I will say that I asked the IR team via an email and they were very direct. They they told me exactly how many shares outstanding they had, and they explained it in a very easy to understand manner. Um, so nice to see that they're approachable on that part. Um, they they aren't overly liquid. They don't have. A, they are using this basically as a. They're using the whole IPO process. It seems like to kind of just clean up their balance sheet. Uh, maybe that isn't a huge problem, but I wish it would have been more clearly stated. Yeah, definitely. Because I think all right, you're diluting shareholders. You're going to have these equity incentive plans that you just started out. I would hope that you'd raised enough money where we're not going to we're going to be comfortable and we're not going to be worried about further dilution because you think when you're raising five hundred million dollars, you're not. But like we explained before, the pro forma stuff might be a bit less than people are expecting. Um, highlights for me, I mean, I think everything checks out with the business operations. Unit economics are great for a restaurant. You know, I mean, contribution margin at twenty nine percent is great. Reinvestment runway is huge and the brand is fantastic. I mean, those are the three checks you want. Boom, done. Lowlights though, besides the one you guys mentioned, which I agree on, when I read the S1 and I loved everything I read and then I get to the related party stuff and I see that the founder's nephew is the chief culture officer and that two other relatives are like a part of the executive team, that concerns me. Um, I, I bet it's not a big issue, but when you combine that with having sole voting power into this one person, I have to trust that person with my money. And it's only this one person. It's not a democracy. And when I see that, I think, okay, maybe this person was qualified for the job, but 
it's I'll admit it's it's a yellow flag for me for sure. Did you happen to see how much he's getting paid? No, but I I mean either way. Yeah, I mean there are definitely it's it's a very family oriented business. Uh, they like they're trying to you can tell they're trying yeah, to keep for this sure. I mean it might not matter. It's just family. Yeah. Um, I yeah. Mean, <laughs> as, as, that's pretty much all we have for highlights of the lights. Yeah. Bull case, Brad, what do you think can go right here going forward? Yeah. I, I kind of, I see Chipotle as, as kind of the, the bull case um, in, the, in, the, in the adjacency of drinks and coffee. So Chipotle started, I think in Colorado and Denver um, yeah. and they had a very strong West Coast presence and had absolutely no trouble expanding Eastern throughout the United States. Um, if that kind of brand stickiness and loyalty is, is similar um, for Dutch Bros, then it really looks like they have a long runway um, for future expansion across a pretty pretty darn large market. Yeah, Ryan. I mean, the bull case. Yeah, I, I like the Chipotle analogy. The bull case is that the model works everywhere. Um, within that ten years, they get to the four thousand stores, um, and they've sort of become saturated. Let's say in the U.S., that would be a great problem to have. Um, and they also made a lot of, uh, recent infrastructure investments they talked about, which was just well, sort of like corporate. that's because they had a lot of material weaknesses. Yeah. And the, uh, hopefully that maybe that adds a few points or a few percentage points to company operating margins, but, uh, wouldn't you think that's going to hurt it though? Cause of employees, employee count, the infrastructure investments, I'm, like, talking, about uh, like, I'm talking about like, uh, the tech stack, like getting it all. In the same, uh, okay. Well, I was like thinking of a point of sale system. I was thinking of accounting thing. Cause one thing popped up to me in the last one, as they said, a risk was that they didn't have, they had few people on staff that currently had knowledge of gap accounting. And I was like, all right, well, you're going to have to hire a lot of accountants that can impact margins. Yeah. I, I, the it's, I think operating margins, uh, will probably cap out somewhere in the 20% range. Uh, yeah, it, that's just, a feature of this kind of business. Um, if that happens, so if, if all that stuff works out, they, I think you're looking at an okay investment, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'll run through it's, my, it's yeah. nothing like, it's not going to be an insane investment, even if that rosy scenario works out. Yes. Uh, let me look at my, my bull case. Uh, I have a little numbers on kind of what Ryan's describing. And this is kind of my glass half full thing. If you get to 4,000 stores, if you're at 1.7 million average unit volume, which is just average store volume, which I think you could probably underwrite would rise, but I'm trying to be conservative here. Yeah, I mean, you could easily see that at 2.5 million. Um, if you have that 29% contribution margin like they usually have uh, on their mature stores, that is $2 billion about in annual contribution profit. That seems pretty good. That's a lot. And they, it seems like they convert that pretty heavily into cash flow. So it wouldn't be too much lower on cash flow. Um, operating cash flow, operating cash flow, which hopefully correct. will be free cash flow over. Hopefully, free cash flow is a little closer to that over time. Um, but yeah, bear case, Brad. Yeah, so bull case Chipotle, and then bear case In and Out Burger. <laughs> so I love In and Out Burger. Uh, it's I, whenever I go to the West Coast, um, always get it, but it never really found its way um, into my neck of the woods. Uh, so the the bear case is for whatever reason that this culture is just it really identifies with. With the Western United States, and it doesn't really identify with other parts of the country, which which Brett and Ryan have already kind of touched on as, as a potential risk already. Yeah, I agree. That's a concern for me. Yeah. Uh, bear case for me. 
they're, they're not going to, yeah, it doesn't work in certain parts of the country. Um, perhaps the decision that the founder made in 2008 to kind of keep everything within the Dutch, Dutch bro system, maybe that does maintain the culture, which is hopefully what they're looking for, but it limits how many new stores they can open in the next or in the like close future. So if you think they're going to get to that 4,000 stores really quick, it might take longer than you think, um, which is obviously going to affect probably the returns, uh, at least in the closer term. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I'll let you put some numbers on it, but listen, it's 20 times sales, probably a thousand times free cash flow. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, let's look at, okay. Remember that the market cap's about $7 billion, 7.3 billion when we're talking if they get to 4,000 stores, if they get to $1.7 million in AUV and that's sustainable, again, I'd say you could probably assume it's higher. And if they sustain a 29% contribution margin across the country, which again, I maybe would be worried about because you know they might not be as popular in certain regions. If you get to that, that's $2 billion in annual contribution profit. How, what's your cash flow yield on the stock on your cost basis? If you're buying it, like if you get to that maturity, which is what in 2030, 2035, and you're going to be diluted by probably 30% over that time period by looking at their S1. So what are we doing here? I mean, I mean, come on, like, uh, and then it, it happens to IPOs though. They just shoot out, you know, they, it, it happens. Stock yeah. goes crazy. Yeah. The other, uh, I'll just, let's get to the more or less interesting. Uh, yeah. Brad, more or less interesting. I'm, I'm going to go with more interested, I, I think, and, and I'm going to preface this with uh, the IPO did get a little bit crazy, uh, so I'm going to probably be pretty patient, but I, I see this as kind of like another comparison is Yeti, um, just really, really cult-like following and and it, people identify with it and it gains traction everywhere. And and I think they have something here. I mean, five drive-through lanes, <laughs> pretty pretty hard to fathom for, for me not, not ever being there, but, but I, I'm going to go with more interested. All right, Ryan. 100% more interested in the business. I actually really like the business. I think everything checks out. But this is not how you make money. Like, as an investor, I just, I have no way to underwrite this at 20 times sales. Yeah. And I'm, le- I'm definitely less interested on from the stock right now. I mean, I think, and obviously we could be wrong. They could go insane and we could look foolish and it just could be a $100 billion business. But, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I doubt that. I mean, it seems like you're coming up against a lot of base rates here. I mean, um, if, you know, if you're paying four times 2030 contribution profit and a rosy assumption, yeah, you'll probably make money, but that's a really rosy assumption. And that's 2030. Yeah. Yeah. A lot has to go right here. I'll say I like the business model or whatever you want to like i said the operations check out i have concerns governance wise i think we may some of us may disagree on that but i i i have some concerns um i would look i would just look at it and see whether you're i don't know management's important also it's also, a, also it's an ipo yeah. like uh when's what's i haven't touched an ipo ever and yeah. I, I don't plan on starting now yeah i always wait six months research what a lockup period is. Um, all right. That's going to do it for Dutch bros. Brad, what do we got two weeks from now? Yeah. So I own Olo and we are going with a, an Olo compliment slash substitute slash frenemy um, toast, uh, more, more of a, a small medium business focus within 
the restaurant world. So I'm, I'm excited to dig into that one to see how it compares. Getting into payments again, should be fun. Another IPO. Uh, so, yeah. you know, will be a fun business. I'm assuming the valuation is probably aggressive, but we'll be okay. fun either way. Uh, that's going to do for this episode. Thank you all for listening. Remember, we are not financial advisors. Anything we say on this show is not formal advice or recommendation. Ryan and I are general partners at Arch Capital. Arch Capital clients may hold securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.